Now, before I go into my message, I want to open up in a little bit of prayer. So if you will, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, I just thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, the opportunity to be up here and to speak uh, to Stafford County Christian Church. God, I just pray that as we go into this time um, that you would speak through me and that whoever is here today that needs to hear a word from you, that God, you would open their eyes, open their hearts, open their minds, and let them see your glory. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I don't know how many of you guys here still follow the NFL, but for those of you who do and who follow the best team in the league, the Steelers, yes, yes, <laughs> I love having another fan out there. So, uh, you would know that they play this week at 1 o'clock. So, I'm going to do my very best to try to have you guys out of here by 1. I can't make any guarantees. <laughs> That's actually the next thing I have written down here. I'm not Travis, so I will let you guys out before one. Um, <laughs> we're going to be taking a uh, short break this week from Travis's series, Make War, and we're going to be talking through um, my sermon type, titled, Hope Remains. Um, and as I am coming up and speaking throughout the year, I want to keep coming back to this message and coming back to the book of Zephaniah, which is where we're going to be working out of today. And I want to really break down what this book is saying, because I know when it comes to the prophets, sometimes it's like, who said what and when and where? And so we're going to talk about all of that. Now, as the youngest person on staff... I feel that I would be remiss if I didn't make a reference to some early 2000s uh, pop references. And so I'm going to be talking about Shrek briefly. Now, <laughs> uh, Shrek is one of my favorite movies, but for those of you who don't know uh, what Shrek is, it's an animated movie that was released way, way back in 2001 so long ago. Um, it was about an ogre who was trying to regain his swamp from the evil Lord Farquaad, and the movie leans heavily on the fairy tales that we all grew up with. And there's a moment where Lord Farquaad uses his magic mirror that's supposed to reveal truth to him. However, Farquaad in his pride end up forcing the mirror to lie to tell him what he wants to hear and see about himself instead of what's actually there. And it, I think that in a similar way, we can choose to skip over a right examination of our lives. Without taking the time to reflect on our desires and thoughts, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we are exempt from repentance, or even become blind and numb to struggles that we were unaware of. I think that uh, so, something that we're going to talk about today and something that I, I think is really important is looking at ourselves objectively is the key. So with that in mind, I want to look at today's key text. And so, as I said at the beginning of today's message, I'm going to be working out of the book of Zephaniah. And you can find Zephaniah at the end of the Old Testament, and it's among the uh, prophetic books. And I know, like I said, when we're looking through the prophets, it, it can be hard to remember who's around for which king um, and what exile was happening and whether it's one kingdom or two kingdoms at this point. And so we're, we're going to talk about all of that to, to do something that I work on every week with our students, which is setting the context, Okay. 
So for everyone here who wants to get more out of their time with God, more out of their Bible study, and a better understanding of what Scripture is actually saying, I encourage you to look at the context. See, we don't want Scripture to say what we try to make it to. We want Scripture to speak for itself. So, context, very important. And and this is actually the first topic that uh, Justin and I are going to be tackling in our podcast coming up uh, later this month. We're going to be recording our first one. And so if you guys haven't heard about that, uh, keep your eyes open because we're going to be posting that out and we're talking about what does it mean to read the Bible. Now, as I said before, Zephaniah is positioned within the portion of the Bible known as the prophetic books, and that's from Isaiah to Malachi, and it's one of the minor prophets. Uh, The prophets were God's instruments of instruction for his people who were the descendants of Abraham. But often what they had to say had consequences for the greater world. And I want to tell you guys, that's foreshadowing for later. We're going to talk about that. Um, Now, Zephaniah, he had a message for the kingdom of Judah. And it's important to note that the kingdom had split at this point into Israel and Judah. And, And it's also important to note that some scholars believe that Zephaniah was actually a descendant of King Hezekiah. And um, so to break that down for you, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, uh, and he was a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. You can see that in 2 Kings 21. Um, Manasseh fathered Amon, who looked, who who did a lot like his father. Um, And you see that in 2 Kings 21, 19 through 25. And Amon's son was Josiah, and he was the king of Judah at the time that Zephaniah was alive. And so This was the person that uh, was leading the country at that point. Now, uh, Micah Fries suggests that based on this timeline, Zephaniah's lineage also helps us to get an idea of when the book was written. His prophecy was during the reign of Josiah, but it was before the fall of Nineveh. And helping us to pinpoint it a bit more is the fact that it was written before Josiah's reforms. Um, and that would have occurred around 621 B.C. So taking into account each of these features, it can be, we can be fairly confident that the book was written between 641 and 622 B.C. in, in that range of time. Now, uh, scholarship, I, I, I want to note this and let you guys know, scholarship isn't agreed as to whether the person of Hezekiah is the historical king of Judah um, or someone else, um, but... Some believe that while Zephaniah's prophecy is the result of certain choices that Judah and Jerusalem had made, which left them at odds with God and certain of pending judgment, his ancestry wasn't super important in connection to the overall story. It's just something that we want to note in there. Now, I wanted to have that understanding going into our scripture today because we have a bit of a larger passage, something a little bigger than we would usually be breaking down today. And so I want you guys to open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Zephaniah 1.1, and we're going to be reading all the way to 2.3. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version today, uh, so, and, and that's what's going to be up on the screen as well. So follow along um, at, on the screens if you don't have your Bible, and your Bibles if you do. So let's start. Zephaniah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off this place from the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests whose those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord, yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned their back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who stay Say in their hearts, the Lord will, do not, will not do good, nor will he do evil. Their goods shall be plundered and their house laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And I, I want to note here, I want you guys to recognize that we see a shift as we go into chapter 2. It says, gather together, yes, gather together, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. Before the day passes away like chaff, before the, there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do not who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So when we're looking at this passage, it doesn't paint a pretty picture, does it? It's a little dark, right? Sometimes when you look at the Bible, you think, hey, it's all uh, sunshines and lollipops, right? You're looking at the New Testament, oh man, uh, this all looks good. And and this seems a little dark. Uh, What we see is a people who have utterly abandoned God. And in fact, what we know about that time is that they were worshiping idols and they had set up what were called high places, which they used in their worship. And so these were uh, monuments to idols that they built on top of mountains because they believed that that brought them closer to the gods and closer to the heavenly host. And there's one God in particular that is pointed out in this passage. In my translation, it says Melcom. In other translations, you'll see Moloch. And I think that that is the name that would be more recognizable to people here. Um, now, Moloch 
was the God of fire and child sacrifice. See, the people of Judah have been offering up their children in sacrifice. And in fact, one of the past kings, Ahaz, had offered up his son this way. So even the kingship, the royal line, the line of David, was worshiping these gods to the point that they were giving their children's lives up. So Zephaniah's prophecy against Judah stemmed from the rampant disobedience and betrayal of Judah toward God. The, sin, uh, the sins of Judah, what I see here, is idolatry, syncretism, and indifference towards God. And I, I want to focus in on these um, because I think it's important for us to be aware of where we are in our lives and where we are spiritually. And so the first of those was idolatry. Like I said, they had set up idols, they had set up high places in Judah to worship these things that they were putting in front of God. They believed that uh, one God, one of the Canaanite gods would bring uh, the, the rain that they needed to grow their crops. Another one uh, would bring the fire that they needed to stay warm at night. And they put these things in front of God. Where is it in our lives that we have made idols? And I know that this is something that we, I'm sure a lot of you have heard before. And so it's easy, I know for me even, it becomes easy to get numb to things when you hear them over and over again. But I want you guys to really take a moment here and think about what idols you've set up in your life. What is it that is being put in front of God in your life? Second was syncretism. And so what this was, was equating the power of these idols with the same power that God had, or saying that um, all, all things that uh, are around us have that, are God, and so th this is all God that we see around us. Where are we forgetting God's authority and power in our lives? I, th I know that there's been a lot of change recently, and there's been some lean times for some of you, I'm sure. Do we forget in those hard times God's power and God's authority? Even when times are easy, it's something to reflect on. Am I, putting God, am I thinking that God's power and authority is the same as the things that are around me? And last was indifference. I think that um, in Stafford County, in the state of Virginia, in the Church of America as a whole, this is something that a lot of us struggle with. I know it's something that I've struggled with before. Indifference. Another word, apathy. Feeling like it doesn't matter. So maybe there's something that's going on in your life, uh, something that you're struggling with, and you're like, eh, that doesn't matter. That's, that's sin. It doesn't really matter. I've fallen away. I, I've fallen back on my relationship with the Lord, and, and it, it doesn't matter. It, it, I'll put it off for another time. We're all busy, right? It's easy to fall into that. And much like a prosecuting attorney who lists all of the charges against a defendant, Zephaniah calls out to Judah for multiple ways they have turned from the path set before them by God follow after other gods of other nations. 
And I think it's a strange reality that many times people start out following God only to, be, only to abandon him to chase lovers less wild. Now, there's a phrase that we see seven times in this passage. Does anybody know what that was? It was hit again and again in that um, I, I didn't point it out so hard, but did anybody notice that phrase that was standing out there? What was that? Declares the Lord. Eh, we're close. It was the day of the Lord. And so you see that again and again in this passage. And I think it's important when we see something that said over and over and over and over again in a passage that we understand what it means. And so I, I, today I want to talk about what that means. And this phrase is notably in the books of the prophets, and we see it throughout the New Testament. When you see, uh, when you see this phrase, it often has two meanings, two meanings. So it has a more immediate application of judgment on the enemies of God. Um, in, in this case, the enemy of God was Israel, was Judah. His chosen people at that point were his enemy uh, because they had turned away from him. And that punishment would come through Babylon. But it also carries another meaning, one for the whole world. Now, I also want to let you guys uh, know and something that is important to this book what we see in the other prophets is they directly call out who is your uh, failure going to come through? Who is going to destroy you? And it'll say Babylon. Babylon is coming. Um, in Zephaniah, it doesn't talk about Babylon. And that's because it wants to draw your attention to the fact that, yes, maybe Babylon is the instrument of destruction, but the author of it is God. And so, uh, one of the notable references that, uh, of many that we see in the New Testament where this phrase is used is Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. And that says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to su su uh, surprise you like a thief. For you were all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So, the day of the Lord is the pending judgment of God on Judah, and it will be all-encompassing, with the full expanse of that judgment reverberating beyond Judah and into the world at large. And we see, like I said, we see that same exact language used in the New Testament. And if we look closely, we can see that certain incommunicable attributes of God are seen in this passage. His sovereignty, his holiness, and his justice. Just to name a few. And, and sometimes I think we fail to consider the full depth of God's character and how it's impugned when we f willfully depart from a lifestyle that brings him honor to follow our own paths. The coming judgment is similar to what Paul describes of the world at large in Romans 1, 18 through 32 as well. And I encourage you guys to look at that. Now, we fail to do justice to the overall story of Scripture when we don't consider why God ju judges the way that he judges. 
But it doesn't end with God's judgment and justice upon the world. In this passage, we see a thread of hope. The theme of redemption is found in Scripture in many places. And Zephaniah 2, 1 through 3, acts as a promise of redemption for those who seek the Lord through humility that leads to repentance. That's hard sometimes. Humility. Zephaniah challenges Judah to fall upon the the Lord's mercy by seeking him out before he comes in force. The call is for Judah to move toward God in repentance and to become obedient. Now, there's a theologian, her name is Elizabeth Ochtemeyer, and she states that Zephaniah is addressing not only a faithful remnant of Judah who are already humble and obedient, However, he's imploring his whole nation to, God, to turn to God and become faithful. Like Paul addressing the saints in Corinth, that godless lot, and urging them to live up to their sainthood in Christ, Zephaniah here implores the covenant people of God to become, in fact, faithful to that covenant. When, we, when our worship flows from a right relationship with God, we are set free to live as God intends. We have a gracious God. And although his nature demands justice, the core of who he is demands justice. He does warn us. But have you guys ever noticed that sometimes people ignore warnings? No matter how brightly colored the signs are, or how frequently it's heard, people seem to disregard warnings. Sometimes people just don't care. Sometimes they believe that they can handle it. God consistently gives us indications or signs that we need to turn around. However, sometimes we're just not willing to listen. People are just prone to do it their own way. Now, I want to show you guys uh, a video um, from a news station in Austin, Texas, and it kind of describes this reality, and it shows you uh, what happens when people see those brightly colored signs, when they see, when they have every warning in front of them, what happens. South Congress tonight. Alex, what are you seeing out there now? Well, thankfully, what we're starting to see now, Walt, is those water levels starting to subside. Take a live look at Wasson Road. You can see it has now been reopened. But just a short time ago, this roadway was flooded. And despite the barricades, drivers were still driving right on through it. They were willing to take the risk, despite the fact that it only takes about 12 inches of water to wash away a heavy SUV. Within a matter of minutes, we witnessed Wasson Road overcome with rushing water. The road, so treacherous, Austin watershed workers shut it down. But despite the barricades and signs warning drivers to turn around, some drivers decided to drive on through. 
Jim O'Brien lives nearby. He's seen this low-lying road flood several times before. It goes all the way around behind my place. According to FEMA, the number one cause of severe weather-related deaths is due to drivers trying to make it across a flooded roadway like this one. AFD is going to throw a lot of resources at it, so we take it very seriously. The Austin Fire Department claims it costs the city of Austin some $10,000 every time firefighters are called out to a water rescue. Time and money that could be better spent if impatient drivers would simply find a safer route. And I've seen it come all the way up to these signs before. And after it stops raining, it'll go right back down. And I checked with the Austin Fire Department just a short time ago, and thankfully they responded to zero water rescues during today's water event. Reporting live in South Austin, Alex Boyer, KITV News. Much more team coverage coming your way right now, starting with Alex Boyer, who's been at a low water crossing. So, um, at just like that video that we watched, God is giving us a clear sign. Now, uh, watching that, it actually, uh, as a side note, reminds me of River Road down in Fredericksburg by the Rappahannock, and when it's flooded, uh, there's this part of me every time that goes, Jared, you got to cross it because it's so much faster, especially when the bridge was there, because we wanted to get downtown. Uh, and fortunately, I have a, a lovely and intelligent wife who goes, Jared, your Toyota Camry is not going to make it through any kind of flood. You're lucky you make it through puddles. So, <laughs> uh, you know, praise God that I have her. Um, but like the kingdom of Judah, we are to be repentant and turn to God. Now, repentance takes confidence that God will do just as he promises. And it takes humility. But like I said, humility is not always easy. It's not always easy to bring ourselves low before anyone, even the Lord. But when we humble ourselves before God, we get to live within his freedom there is freedom that he has for each and every one of you. I know that when we talk about God's justice, it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes we like to think of God as this, this safe and all-loving being that we can just lean into and we don't ever have to worry about this, this whole thing. Now, those things are absolutely true, but we also need to remember that he is truth, he is light, and he, and he is justice. He cannot abide darkness. But fortunately, God made a way. See, he sent his son, his only son, to die for you. To die for us. So that we can have eternal life. Now, I, I want to read from Titus 2, 11 through 14, and th this is one of my favorite summaries of the gospel message. It's so concise, and, and I think it paints a really beautiful picture that is important for each and every person here to understand. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We now have hope. We don't need to be scared. We don't need to feel trapped. We have hope. All of us have a chance to give it to God. Today, I want you to reflect on your own life. Are you hurting? Are you broken? Do you feel lost in your sin? Do you feel trapped in lies, in deceit? This is the time to turn and to repent. God has made, given us this free gift. All we have to do is turn. And there is the freedom that you feel when you release that sin is unparalleled. We can be purified by the blood of Christ through the sacrifice of Jesus we get to be made whole again. We don't have to be disobedient. We don't have to be uh, trapped by these idols that we hold on to. We can be freed through the power of Christ. For those of you who are here who have already made a commitment to God, who have already given your lives to Him, I encourage you to reflect on what it is that you're holding on to in your life that may be causing you to be driven away from your Savior. Myself and the elders are going to be in the back. We want to pray with you, um, and, and we want to walk through this journey with you as you come closer and draw closer to Him. For people here who haven't given their life to Jesus yet, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Him. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever come across uh, this, this person of Jesus, I want to tell you that there is freedom for the pain that you feel in your life. And he wants to free you. Give your life to him. I want to encourage you that in your own seat, in your own spot, you're able to pray to him, you're able to go to God, and you're able to give your life to him. But again, me and the elders are going to be in the back, and we want to pray with you. Because we, again, we want to walk through this journey with you. Will you pray with me? God, we just, again, thank you so much for giving us a chance to be together and to learn more about you. God, as we go through this week, help us to remember that we don't have to be held by our sin. We don't have to be tied down by the idols that are uh, taking up your place in our lives. Because, God, it is about you, and you have given us a chance. You have given us freedom. All we have to do is accept it. God, I pray for uh, anyone here who has not accepted you and is looking for that sign, that they see this as that sign. God, I just thank you so much for the blood of Jesus and the freedom that you give us. In your heavenly and precious name we pray. Amen.